Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. But, uh, you know, guys, we're going to carry on today with uh, our Mark series, Move. And today is the last, actually, the last one. And uh, it's really an honor to, to share with you today. What I'm going to share is actually, uh, honestly, just straight up, I'm going to share with you the gospel. I'm going to share with you the good news of Jesus Christ, because that's how the book ends. And that's the power. That's the thing that we've been commissioned to go out and share. But what I want to challenge you to do today, though, is a little bit like what Pastor Cheryl was talking about there and talking about how, you know, God is the, he, he's, he's breathed his breath of life into all of humanity. And what I want to challenge you to do today is to listen to the gospel, but listen to it from the perspective of everybody. Listen to it from the perspective of there's no insiders or outsiders with the gospel because the gospel is for everybody. What Jesus did is for everybody. And sometimes when you hear the gospel, some, well, at least I can anyways, I can be challenged to think about it in terms of, okay, well, I've accepted it and I'm in. They haven't accepted it and they're out. And all of a sudden there's a dichotomy created and a division already. But what Jesus did, he did for all of us. So I challenge you, think about it. Some of it's a mystery. It really is. Like Pastor Cheryl said, it's straight up mysterious, some of it. But listen with your heart today. Listen with your spirit. Listen to the, listen to the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, so like I said, we're last one in the book of Mark, last series on moving. We started this series with move because we were looking at the book of Mark and we were thinking, wow, Jesus was a really active guy. He's moving all over the place. And it could be that, uh, you know, it just could be that the writer wrote about Jesus saying he was here and there and he popped from here. It could be a literary device. But even the Apostle John said of Jesus, he said, man, if everything that this guy did was written in books, I don't think the world is big enough to contain them. Jesus was a busy guy. He was doing stuff. He went here, there, and everywhere, healing the sick, raising the dead, proclaiming the good news. He was moving. And you got to know this too, that God, the Holy Spirit is moving inside of you. I hope move is a theme that you've been able to resonate with and connect with because on the inside of you is not a, a pool or a pond of stagnant water. We've got living water inside of us. Holy Spirit is moving and he's moving us. And you are in the spirit because you're in Christ. Therefore, the spirit of Jesus is moving you into bigger and better things. We also talked about move because, uh, well, whether you know this or not, if you're new to our community or not, but we're actually moving. Like this building is sold, we're going to move. And uh, the way I think about that, and I, I challenge you to think about it as well conceptually anyways, is we're not moving because of a, a function of COVID or because, you know, we've got to take steps backwards. We're moving because what God's doing in us is bigger than it is than this place will allow. We're moving because we're, God is expanding in us, and he's expanding our footprint and expanding our reach. So I was thinking about every spring, my wife does a garden, and she's really good at it, and I'm really good at watching her. But what she does, <laughs> she's always like, you don't help me. I was like, I help you eat it. <laughs> but she takes these seeds. She's like, she cheats, right? She gets a head start on the seasons. 
and she takes these seeds and she sprouts them and then she puts them in a flower pot or one of those little mucky little things right and uh but then you know what there comes a time where if you want that plant to actually produce what you want it to you want it to actually produce the cucumbers and the peppers and the hot peppers and all that stuff you've actually got to take it out of the tiny constraint that it's in and you got to put it in the earth because in order for it to expand in the full expression of its dna to be realized you got to move it that's kind of like what's going on with us. If you're attached to us, God has put something big inside of us. It's growing, it's expanding, it's moving, it's global, it's regional, it's big. So that, that's what the move's all about. So a lot of move was framed, we're going to look at Jesus, we're going to watch him move through the book of Mark, and we're going to think about how God's moving in us and how God is moving us, quite literally. So as we started, I love this, the very first verse of Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel. The beginning of the good news is what gospel means. It's good news. And by the time we get to the last chapter, the gospel is complete. And what we see Jesus do in Mark 16, 15 is he basically hands this message over to his disciples. And he says, go into all the world. Preach this gospel now to every creature. So the whole story's been completed. Jesus has revealed God. He's died. If you've been reading along in Mark 16, you'll see that God, Jesus raised from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And then he's like, okay, guys, I'm going to the Father. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And now tag your it. Go out there and take this gospel. So that's a, the gospel is, is a key ingredient to our movements through life. We're, we're meant to move, as Paul said, you know, holding out this word of life as you shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. So being able to own the gospel, share the gospel, always be ready to give a hope for the, you know, an answer for the hope that you have. That's a, that's a pretty important thing to be able to do. Now, Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ. This message that Jesus gave his disciples at the end of Mark, it said, take this everywhere. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to salvation. Salvation, that word sozo, it means healing, it means deliverance, it means freedom, it means the literal saving of my soul, it means eternal life. All the things that we want from God to fix us, to make us better and eternally so, it's wrapped up in that word salvation. And it says really clearly, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in it is the power. Where's the power to change the world? It's in the gospel. It's in the good news. And I'm afraid sometimes, I, I, you know, there's this tendency to kind of be like, well, I know that. Teach me something greater about Jesus. And it's like, no, I, I got to keep coming back to this. You know, Pastor Carl told me when I, when I first started preaching, he said, you know, the, the word of God, it's, it's sharp, it's powerful. It's like a two-edged sword. And it's like a sword that has no handles. And when you grab it and you start to wield it, you get cut as well. And I'll tell you, I was, I was going over this this week and I was like, man, this really is it. This is it. This is, this is the hope of salvation for the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we saw today in, in Mark chapter 16, as we're going to talk about, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the good news. And he's Lord even over death. And wow, what a message we need to hear right now. Jesus Christ is Lord over death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says to, to the Corinthians, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Isn't that funny? I'm declaring to you the gospel that I already preached to you. The Apostle Paul, the brilliant man that he was, he's like, I'm going to keep telling you the same thing over and over and over again. He even said, I, I, I decided that I would know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Like, this is, this is a big deal. And he says, so the gospel that I declared to you, I'm now preaching to you, which you also received and in which you stand. I would challenge you to receive the gospel on a daily basis. That's one of the beautiful things about communion. We together, we remember and proclaim his death until he comes. It's a way of receiving again and again and again. We got to hear the good news over and over and over again. You preach the good news to yourself. Our defaults in our mind can be so, uh, so wired to kind of pull us back towards performance, to pull us back towards bad news. There's so much bad news out there. Keep receiving the good news. Keep receiving it and receiving it. And he says this gospel, not only did you receive it, but it's in this gospel in which you stand. Crazy, eh? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of stances being taken right now, right across the world. A lot of people are standing on a lot of things. But Paul says, take your stand in the gospel. So good. For I delivered to you, he says, first of all, that which I also received. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He rose again, according to the scriptures, and he was seen. So that's just four quick components of the gospel that I want to share with you today. And again, I would challenge you, think about it again, not as insiders and outsiders, not as those who are included and those who are excluded, but as good news for everybody. Good news for the whole of the creation, because, you know, God, the breath of life is in all of humanity. It really is. And the Bible says in Colossians that all things were created by him and for him. And in him, all things consist, even those who don't like him. It's true. Christ died for our sins. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is a vital component of the gospel. We have to know this. We have to know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He didn't just die. He didn't just get nailed to a cross like we heard about last week, that the brutal, violent death that he died. He died for our sins. He died for us. In a certain sense, it was substitutionary. It wasn't penal, but it was substitutionary. He took our death on himself. He took the consequences and the wages of sin in his own body. So here it says, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Well, what that means, that word glory is doxa. And what it means is to fall short of the opinion of God. Basically, the sin that all of humanity is guilty of is that we don't see God correctly. We don't see his glory properly. We don't understand him. We don't see him. We don't get him. We've turned from the true knowledge of God. And that act, that turning from the true knowledge of God, either ignoring him, rejecting him, or twisting the revelation of him into something else, that's what produces bad and harmful actions. So Adam and Eve sinned. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the first sin they committed was to listen to the devil. And when you listen to the lies and you listen to accusations that somebody or the devil or, or something else throws into your life about God, and you start to believe something about him that's not true, you come under the power of that lie. That's why you know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the devil is a liar. He's the father of lies. He is a liar. When you break the lie, when you come into the truth, you break the power of him over your life. So the sin of humanity was we fell short. We didn't see God correctly. We started to think things about him that weren't true. One of the biggest ones is, is that he hates us, that we need to hide from him, that somehow God is over here, and because of our guilt and our shame, we're now over here. That's one of the biggest lies out there, the lie of separation between us and God. And Jesus, this is why his life is so important, not just his death, not just his resurrection, but his life too. He came and he corrected every mis 
conception we had about God by the way that he lived. He revealed the Father perfectly, and he gave us this eternal record. This is what God looks like. This is who he really is. And he blew that whole myth of separation completely out the window. All of a sudden, the God who can't be near sinners because they might explode because of his holiness, you see this God stepping in and having supper with them and being called the friend of sinners. He just blew that whole thing right up. So not only did he correct what we saw poorly about God, but in the cross, Jesus actually, when he died for our sins, he actually took on sin itself. He took on all the consequences of our sins. When you think poorly about God, when you think he hates you, when you think he's mad at you, when you think he's mad at you, and you start to internalize guilt and shame and fear, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of broken stuff starts to come out of you. You start to act broken. You start to think poorly about other people because you're failing to see them in the light of the glory of God, those who bear the image of Christ, those who have the breath of his life inside of them. All of a sudden, I don't see them that way, and I start treating them poorly. That's where sin comes from. And Jesus on the cross, not only did he give a perfect picture of who God is, but he actually bore somehow mysteriously, mystically, in a way that I don't understand, like Pastor Cheryl was talking about, somehow on the cross, he absorbed into his own body and into his own experience all of our sin, all of our shame all of our guilt, all of our brokenness, all of our feelings of isolation, all of our sickness, all of our death, all of our mental health issues, all of our emotional problems. He took it all in his own body, in his own experience, and he took it all for all time and eternity, for every single one of us, for you and for me, and he took it all at once, at one time in history. Isn't that amazing? I can't imagine the experience that was for him. Only God could, could do that. And that's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, in, in a way that I don't understand, he made him who knew no sin. Jesus did nothing wrong. He never had this problem. That's why I'm saved by the faith of Jesus Christ. He never turned aside from the Father. He never believed a lie about God. He was faithful. In fact, he went so far as to say, nobody knows the Father but the Son. I know him perfectly and intimately. And now because I've been grafted into Jesus, I know the Father in the way that Jesus does. I'm, I'm even delivered from the work of trying to know God because my union with Christ, he shares his intimate knowledge of the Father with me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? So somehow, mystically, he who knew no sin became sin for us. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Somehow, again, mystically, he took it all at one time, as we heard last week on about six hours on a Friday, probably a Thursday. But here's another thing, another bit of good news. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Not only did Jesus take my sin, not only did he take my shame and my guilt and my brokenness, but he took me. The broken me. The messed up me. The me that is, you know, messed up beyond repair. The part of me that can't ever be fixed. The part of me that's beyond counseling. The part of me that's beyond a self-help book. That me, he actually took on himself. And as a representative of all of humanity, he took us all into his death. It's funny, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, you know, we judge this, that he died for all, therefore all died. Somehow he took all of humanity in his own body on the cross and died. Second part of the gospel, he was buried. We read in, in, uh, in, in our bit in, in Mark there that Jesus, the, the, the women are running to the tomb. They know that he died. I mean, he actually did die. Like Pastor Carl spoke about last week, Jesus' body actually died. These guys were professional killers. They knew how to kill a body. They killed him and they put him in a tomb. And we heard that story last week as well. He was buried. 
But I love the story. The angels show up and they, and they talk to the women and they say, hey, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a powerful statement? He was dead. He was buried. But then the angels say, why do you seek the living amongst the dead? And I think that's a really valid question for that a lot of religion has to answer. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? You know, why, why do we embrace kind of these personal self-help kind of programs and stuff like that? Why do you walk into the tomb and poke your dead self? Why do you try to raise yourself? Why do you try to beautify that self that God said is dead when actually the solution is he's raised you up as a new creation? Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? Jesus isn't there anymore. Romans 6 verse 4 says, therefore we were buried with him. And that's a picture of baptism. You know, the old self, the old you, the, the, the part of you that's been corrupted by sin, that part goes down in the water, like you're going down into the tomb, and it stays there. And you come up, you pop up out of the water as a new person, as a new creation. That symbolizes what's happened to you mystically in a way with Christ Jesus, where just like he died on the cross and you died with him, he got put in the tomb, and you did too. And there's better news. He was risen. He rose again. Mark 16, 6, the angels say to the women, you seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. For real. He died. Like, not, not, a, not a, 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 a myth. He died. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. But he is risen. He is not here. And the good news about this, this is amazing. When we talk about resurrection, we're not talking about a second chance. We're not talking about a hopeful new beginning. We're not talking about a, a message that you even have permission to draw inspiration from and say, okay, well, I fell down. I get to get back up again. That's not what we're talking about when we're saying Jesus was raised from the dead. We're saying that the literal power of God took a dead body and raised it back to life in the form of something so much more glorious and better than it was before. That's a miracle. God rose Jesus Christ from the dead. His actual dead body that lied in a tomb dead that the, that the women thought they could go, you know, put spices on or whatever they're going to do, that they could go make it better. That body got raised from the dead. That's a, that's a fundamental truth of Christianity, and it's crazy, isn't it? When you actually think about it and you actually let these things kind of wash over your soul, it's like, wow, Jesus Christ bodily rose from the dead. What power. Luke 24, 37, 42, Jesus appears to his disciples and they're, they're freaked out. They're like, wow, we think we see a ghost. And Jesus comes to them and he says, no, no, look at my hands, look at my feet. It's me. Come on, touch me. Does a ghost have flesh? Does a ghost have blood? And he starts to eat with them. He's like, guys, you know what? This is the truth. I, I'm not just appearing to you as like some sort of apparition or some sort of spirit. He's like, here I am. Like, you can touch me. Now, it's bizarre. This body that got raised from the dead, it, it walked through a wall. So um, clearly, <laughs> Jesus' resurrected body, it's touchable, it's tangible, it's able to eat. But he walked through a wall. He's, he can do what he likes. But you know what the good news for me and all that is? We got to promise that because of our inclusion in Christ, one day we're going to have new bodies too, just like he does. <laughs> Best of shows, we better. <laughs> But before that, here's the truth you got to know. This has to live and resonate in your soul, that you have already been raised up together with Christ. And that's, that's, not a, that's not a nice saying to make you feel better again about like having a second chance at life. You literally have been raised up together with Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. 
Colossians 3 says, you know, you died with Christ. Your life is now hidden with him and God. He says, set your mind. Seek those things that are now above where Christ is seated. And I pray that that would become a living reality for everybody. To see and to know and to feel the reality of the fact that I've been raised with him and I'm seated with him. And just as surely as I'm standing before you right now in flesh and blood, I'm also seated with him in heavenly places. And I can have the experience of being on both levels, experiencing both things at the same time. That's, that's the right of all the children of God who've been raised up together with him. This is something that's already happened to you. You have been raised up. You possess eternal life now. John eleven twenty five and 26, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, he says? Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now you might say, well, hold on a second. I know somebody who passed away. You know, there's lots of people in the world right now passing away from COVID. Like de death is a daily reality that the human race tries its best to ignore and run from. But we can't. They say the only things that are certain are death and taxes, right? It's going to happen. So how can Jesus say something like, you know what, whoever believes in me shall never die? Well, here's the thing. Your body, the body you possess right now, your and my body, it is destined to die. It will die. You know, the Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But you will not die. See, when you do die, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, your spirit doesn't just kind of dissolve into some, uh, I don't know, cosmic union with the universe. You don't become a blob of energy that just kind of dissipates somewhere. You retain your personhood. Who you are as a person exists forever. Because of my resurrection with Jesus Christ, my resurrection, because he raised me already, I can tell you that in a thousand years from now, I'm still going to be me. I might be in heaven. I might be back on the earth. I don't know whenever Jesus comes. But me, like me, my personality, who I am as a person, my consciousness, I will exist with Jesus forever. And I will know you. And we will still be friends. And if that's a problem for you, you're going to have to get over it. <laughs> My wife's like, don't. <laughs> because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and I am included in that, I am going to live forever with him. This body will not. Now, say the, the, the Bible says, you know what? It's appointed unto man once to die. There's a couple different ways that we die. I died with Christ already, but also this body, I'm going to shed it off. Paul said this body is outwardly wasting away, even though inwardly I'm being renewed day after day. And we have this amazing promise in the Bible that, well, we wait for this experience after we die and we get a new body. We have this experience of kind of a first fruits down payment. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will also give life to your mortal body. So I have a promise, even though this body's not going to last forever, as long as I need to be here, as long as I'm going to be partnering with Jesus on this earth, I have a promise that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to give his resurrection life to me and infuse this mortal body that will not last forever. But in the meantime, I have a promise and a claim that it will manifest the glory of God. It has to manifest resurrection life. It has to because of the strength and the power of the spirit of resurrection on the inside of me. So anything in me that defies that, I say no. Sometimes it's a longer battle than others. But I've got the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He gives life to this mortal body. And it's kind of like this. Paul said that, you know, you can think about it in terms of sowing and reaping. You know, when you think about your body and what the resurrection actually looks like, when you plant, uh, when you want to plant an oak tree, 
You don't plant an oak tree. You plant an acorn, right? You dig a hole, you put the acorn in the ground. Well, Paul says it's kind of like this. The body is sown. It's put into the ground. It's sown perishable. This is perishable, but it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. Somehow, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, I'm going to exist as an embodied person forever. And I'm not going to, you know, facing the limitations that I face right now, I'm not going to have a dodgy knee or an upset stomach or anything like that. I, I'm going to spend eternity with a body that matches the Spirit of God on the inside of me. Isn't that amazing? Now, it gets even better than that. Not only am I never going to die, not only, you know, this body might, but it's kind of like I'm trading it in. I'm not going to die. So because of that, the fear of death gets broken off of my life. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, so since everybody, all of us, the children of God, have flesh and blood, we have this natural experience. Jesus, too, shared in our humanity. He shared in flesh and blood. So that he, by his death, might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Somehow, in the, in the core of humanity is this, this fear that we're going to die. We're going to come to an end. We don't know what's next. We're afraid. And that's just a universal human condition. Jesus Christ breaks this power off of our lives. I am not afraid to die because of my resurrection with Christ Jesus. Because he raised me up. Because I have the consciousness of his resurrection life and power inside of me. I am not afraid to die. This is the testimony, and this has been the witness of the church throughout the ages. They were not afraid to die. They overcame the accuser by the, you know, the word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and they loved not their own lives even unto death. When you believe in the resurrection, when you embrace the resurrection, that fear goes, and all the crippling fear that goes with it. And I think in this way, more so than any other way, Christians are called to be a witness to the resurrection. That is not a thing for me. That shouldn't be a thing for you. That's broken. Christ is the resurrection. Christ is the life. The whole world's like basically in lockdown over it. Not a, not a, not a, not a political statement there, but we're afraid. The spirit of fear has no right and place in my life because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And not only that, but this message, this is the hopeful message that all of creation is meant to hear. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it says, In the dispensation of the fullness of times, he would gather together in himself all things in Christ, both things which are in heaven and things which are on earth. Somehow, mystically, in a way that I don't understand as a giant mystery, in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ is the foundation of a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus in his body, he bridged the gap between the natural and the spiritual. He brought heaven and earth together in his person. And now his person holds all things together by the word of his power. That's the good news. That's the message. That's the message for all of creation. That's why it always troubled me when Jesus said, go into the, into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, that's weird, isn't it? And then you see Francis Assisi and these guys, they'll go preach to birds. <laughs> and we got churches that do the blessing of the animals. But do you know that the gospel is the power of God into salvation, not just for you and me, not just the remedy from my guilt, but it's actually the fix for the whole of the cosmos? The message of the resurrection, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, glorification of Jesus is the hope. It is the word. It is the message that's going to call forth new creation in everything. Do you know it's okay to walk down the street and be weird and say, bless you, tree, the curse is broken off of you in Jesus Christ? It's okay to do that. 
You know, the Bible says that the, the effects of the curse are going to be broken off of the world. You can see it in Isaiah uh, chapter 11, where he talks about even the, the natural world itself, its order, its chaos, and its violence is going to be thrown aside because the knowledge of the glory of God is going to fill the earth as waters cover the sea. Well, what if, what if the glory of God is already, it's intrinsically woven into the creation and what's lacking is the knowledge of it? And what if creation's waiting for a realization for the children of God to realize who they are, walk in their identity, speak the glory of God, declare this thing, prophesy it, call it into being, and all of a sudden creation itself comes into the liberty of the children of God. She says in Romans chapter 8, that's what everything out there is longing for. That's the longing of the human soul. It's the longing of creation to come back into freedom. And we have a message that says you're free. We have a message that says you have been set free by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is good news. And this is good news that he's committed to us. He went so far as to say the Apostle Paul, he said, from now on, because of this, because of the application of the cross and the resurrection to your life, he said, from now on, you're not allowed to regard anybody according to the flesh. We can't see anybody anymore as insiders and outsiders. We need to see people, you know, and, you know, don't get me wrong, there is a difference. There, there's people who've embraced the life of Christ on the inside of them, and there's people that still have yet to come to that faith. But we have to see each other all the way, all the way through as those for whom Christ died. We have to see everybody as people in whom the image of God is born. We have to see that, and we have to speak it. We have to call it out. So it says, we once saw Christ according to the flesh. All we did when we looked at him was we saw a carpenter, maybe a criminal, maybe a godly man who died on a cross. But we're not confused about this any longer. We don't see him that way anymore. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means for you and for me, everything is new. It's all new. That means if we're stuck in a paradigm where we're trying to fix something in our lives, we're trying to become better, we're trying to fix something that's dead, w number one way to get rid of that is to say, wow, I am new. Christ in me, there is a newness of life inside of me already. Now all things are of God. Isn't that amazing? Now I get to say about my life, you might look at me and say, yeah, that's crazy, Zach. There's some things in your life that's not cool. But do you know what I have to look at my life through the lens of? All things are of God. All things are of God. When I say all things in my life are of God, if there's something that's a little bit wonky, do you know what me saying all things are of God does to me? It makes me realize the things that are of God, and I build on those. Now all things are of God, and he has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, given us the ministry of reconciliation, and that is this, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing their trespasses against us has committed to us that message. So isn't that crazy? Our message is not, you can do better. Our message is not, you dirty, rotten sinner, you scoundrel. Our message is not all about trying to help people realize how bad they are or trying to convince people about what is right and what is wrong. I mean, one of the biggest complaints I hear about the world right now is that it's upside down. Right is wrong and wrong is right. Well, do you know what? The gospel is not the message that, that you know, kind of sorts that out. Our message is not to convince people of right or wrong. That's the gospel of the knowledge of good and evil. Our, our message, our gospel is you are reconciled to God. You are reconciled to God. You know what? Nothing that's wrong in your life is going to get fixed anyways until you realize that fundamental truth. I am reconciled to God. Sin is not my problem. Sin is not the world's problem. Sin is not God's problem. God is not in heaven mad at the world for sin. In fact, he's already dealt with it. And that's got to be our message. The message has to be, you know, you might look at somebody and say, wow, dirty, rotten sinner. I'm looking at the floor, so nobody thinks I'm looking at them. <laughs> I might, you know, you might look at somebody that way, 
But you know what? You got to see, you got to see that person and be able to say, you know what? You are reconciled to the Father. That is the message. That is, they, they have to accept it. Don't get me wrong. There's still faith that's required, but that is the message. And you know what faith comes, how faith comes? Faith comes by hearing. If I say, here's the message, now I challenge you to believe it, I've kind of invalidated the gospel. I've kind of invalidated the finished work of the cross. No, the faith comes by hearing, not by me challenging you to pump up your faith. So I say, hey, Terry, you are forgiven. You are cleansed. You know, that you have been reconciled to the Father. And you can reject that if you like, and, and you know, you'll go on living in that, in that feeling of being secluded from God. But the reality is, it's true. And you accept it, and all of a sudden, boom, the lights come on, and you experience all the glory of it. So he was seen. All this stuff that happened, it didn't just happen in a vacuum somewhere. Jesus was seen. It was all public. And we are called to also make this public. We're called to make this known. So 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 10, it says, Jesus destroyed the power of death, and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Life and immortality have been brought to light, been made known, become visible through the gospel. So we have to share it. And they understood themselves to be witnesses of his resurrection. So, just four, four quick, there are a couple quick things anyways I want to share with you, concluding, uh, concluding thoughts on MOVE and some concluding thoughts about the resurrection. And that's this. That, that's the gospel. That's the gospel as I understand it. That's the gospel I believe that Paul has outlined in the scriptures. That's the good news we've been given to share. And it's through this gospel. Paul was really bold. He said, through my gospel, the secrets of men's hearts are going to be judged. Crazy, eh? But it's the gospel that Paul gave, and that is his gospel. Jesus Christ has done it all, and what's left for us is to come to faith and to come to believe in that. So they moved, they moved through the earth. The apostles, they moved through their world. We're moving through our world. And it says in Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection. That's where the power was at, the witness that they were busy trying to do. You know, I was looking at some of the political campaigns and the great energy and effort and money and expenditure of time and resource that's going on to get their message out. Well, the apostles had an unrivaled devotion to get the message out, but their message was, Jesus Christ is Lord, even over death. The resurrection brings a tangible power into our world and otherworldly results in in our, into our lives and into our outcomes. So Paul's always praying, and I've said this before, but in Ephesians, he's not asking for more power. He's asking that you'd get a revelation of the power that you already have connected to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open to, amongst other things, you would know the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked when he raised Christ from the dead seated him at the right hand of the Father above all principality, power, might, dominion, and gave him a name above every name. So the power in our lives is connected to the fact that we've been raised from the dead with Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 13.4 says, Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. You know, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he is. And what Jesus did on the cross is a mighty powerful thing, a great demonstration of who God is, but he's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. When you want to see Jesus, you look up. Look up, it says, your redemption draws nigh. Because he's, he's alive. He's an embodied person at the right hand of the Father. He lives by the power of God. And it says, for we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Resurrection, life, and power in our relationships. And I think this, I think that Jesus Christ wants each of us to walk and to live and to move in our lives with the same consciousness of victory over death that he has. The Bible says that we're meant to have the mind of Christ. 
we have the mind of Christ, it says. Now listen to this. This is Jesus showing up to his friend in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, John. And he says to him, Behold, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. He amened himself. Isn't that cool? He's like, that's so good. He says, I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Do you hear in that the consciousness of, and mastery over death and sickness and disease and all that stuff that Jesus has? He's like, I was dead, but now I am alive. And that's the consciousness that we get to have and we get to, to embrace and we get to live with. So Corinthians 15, again, it says that, you know, the first Adam was a living being. He was alive. The second Adam, the last Adam, was a life-giving spirit. And that's the call that you and I have, is to take and to move with this gospel, to go out there and to share the good news. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a new king, and he's king even over death. And that message is something that not only we articulate with our mouths, but we live with our lives, and we manifest the light of this life everywhere we go. And we bring life, just like Joel's army. You know, they go through a place, and it turns into something better, not something worse. Here's the promise. As we move, as we take the gospel out there, as we do stuff, as we get engaged, as we move out in the world, we're going to have the same experience that they did in Mark 16. First verse of Mark, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Last verse in Mark, the disciples went out and they preached this everywhere. And we have the promise the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word with the signs that accompanied it. That's the promise we have. That's the promise of partnership. That's the promise of the message and the power that we have right now. Resurrection life. Amen? All right, guys. That's all I got for you. It's the good news. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. He's Lord. He's alive. He's alive right now. He's walking through the candlesticks, like Pastor Cheryl said. And I pray that everybody just has a massive uh, revelation and experience with the, the risen Jesus, because he's here. You know, that song, that, that hymn says, uh, you know, how do I know he lives? I know he lives because he lives in me. We get to testify to the world and say, hey, come experience the risen Jesus in our midst, which I did today, and so did you.